This is a kick in the grass with Dan Riccio and Jeff Blair on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back in on a kick in the grass, and this week we have, for the first time in history, a Canadian winning the Men's UEFA Champions League trophy, Alfonso Davies, a Champions League winner, and thus we have an Alfonso Davies appreciation episode of A Kick in the Grass. Dan Riccio in this week with Peter Galindo at Galindo PW on Twitter is where you can follow him. He's stepping in for Jeff Blair this week on the show. Yes, Bayern Munich win 1-0. Peter, um, it was quite the match, but uh, equally incredible for us Canadians uh, and guys that have been covering this sport here and uh, want to see it grow and want to see uh, more success for young Canadians, both on the men's and women's side. Uh, what a what a huge moment it is for the game in this country. Oh, absolutely. And I apologize in advance because I feel like I'm going to use the same two or three adjectives to describe Davies' entire situation, but I just feel these are so apt that they have to be repeated time and time again. But th- this is just, it, it's an incredible, unbelievable ascension since November when he slotted into that, into that Bayern Munich side. And the progress he's made has been nothing short of of fantastic to see. Um, and when you think back to, you know, Dan, you and I have seen him at, at various points in his career, but I, I just remember watching him in a preseason friendly against the Houston Dynamo in 2016 as a 15-year-old making fools out of grown men twice his age. Um, and then he obviously debuts in MLS at the same age a few months later. I recall Will Johnson having issues trying to shut him down uh, when he was with Orlando City. And now to think that that same kid four years later, which I still can't believe it's been four years, ends up making 42 appearances in all competitions for Bayern, the most he's ever played in a season. Um, You look at how Hansi Flick transformed him and others as well, got the most out of him and his qualities while doing his best to mask Davies' weaknesses because he still has those. That's par for the course for someone who is still learning a position at one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, but it's it's just a testament to to Davies and his his drive as well as his his willingness to to adjust to a position that even he's admitted he's not necessarily you know all that excited to to be in, but he's made it his own and he is really turning heads. And I think that the fact that he has now completed this season with a treble is just so poetic in, in, in so many ways. It's been incredible. You know, um, I think we always knew when he first got to Bayern Munich that it was going to be a process of finding his role within the team and becoming a locked-on starter. I don't know if I even expected it as early as this year, especially after you know the uh, after the signing of Lucas Hernandez as well mm-hmm. that Bayern completed last summer you know that locked up another one of those positions on the left side or at least it seemed injuries come into play and and Davies ends up playing left back but when he became a locked on starter October 26th 
Bayern basically stopped losing. You know, uh, they lost a couple of matches when when Hansi Flick first took over from Nico Kovac, but after that, it's just been a wasteland of defeated opponents in Bayern's wake. That's really just been the entirety of their season. They've been so dominant, so good, and Davies has been a massive part of that. Like, I, I don't think we can understate this, just how good he has been. Um, and, and I've said this a number of times, you know, I think for Canadians, you know, having a, a soccer player be amongst the best in the world at his position is very strange, you know. Like, I, I still think the casual fan... Uh, watches Davies yesterday or sees him on Sportsnet Central this morning lifting the Champions League trophy and is thinking that he's oh he's 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 a piece on, on a really good team. No, he is like one of the pieces. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he is one of the most important pieces. And you know, who scored is a website that uh, you know has got some advanced statistics and stuff like that, and something I check in on every every now and again. But if you look at uh, Davies, and they have average ratings for, for all players. And you, you look at Davies, this year in the Bundesliga, he had a 7.52 rating, which was fourth best in the Bundesliga. Only behind Timo Werner, Jaden Sancho, and teammate Robert Lewandowski, who, yeah, by the way, scored 34 goals. So, of course, he's going to be at the top of that list. In the Champions League, Davies finished with a 7.8 player rating out of 10. Oof. And that was sixth best in the Champions League. The only players better, Tony Cruz, Harry Kane, Neymar, Lionel Messi, and Robert Lewandowski. And by the way, all those guys score goals and yeah. do a lot more um, that can rack up the stat sheet than a defender, Alfonso Davies. There's only one other defender in the top 20 of the highest rated players in the Champions League. Like, what Davies did this year is bonkers for a 19 year old to be this good this early in a position he's just learning we can only wonder peter what the next few years look like for alfonso davies well that's what's so mind-boggling to me is that in two or three years and by the way he still won't even be anywhere near close to his prime by that point like how much better is he going to be at that point? How much more confident is he going to be? Yes, there are areas he has to work on defensively, which I'm sure we'll get into as we talk about the the final itself. But um, you rattled off some of the some of the ratings for for Davies, and it, it makes sense because you you look at how involved he is in the final third specifically. Like he's a major part of how Bayern attacks. In a lot of ways, he's the outlet, or at least one of the main outlets. Um, pretty much ever since Davies came into the team and locked down that spot, the vast majority of Bayern's attacks are down the left. And you see why, because Davies is just marauding up and down the pitch. Um, and you look at, and, and I like to, to put these together, but you look at his statistical radar, just in the Bundesliga alone, um, it's basically an entire circle. And that just goes to show you how through the roof some of those numbers are just his deep progressions his 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 dribbling everything it's it's it it honestly makes you wonder like just how and I, and I hate to say this because you never want to see players get hurt but how fortuitous was it that 
all those defenders for Bayern went down injured at the exact same time, which essentially forced, at the time at least, when he was the coach, Niko Kovac, to put Davies in at left back. And then the injuries persisted because Hernandez and, and Nicolas Sula's injuries specifically were so serious that they had to be out for multiple months that it allowed Davies to settle into that team. Um, it, it was a major part, but to his credit, he took that and ran with it. And the fact that Flick saw this, this player who is blessed with incredible technique obviously great pace, um, who's fearless on and off the ball, and who's just so calm on the big stage as we saw on Sunday, um, and, and was able to turn him into, at least at this point in time, one of the inform fullbacks on the planet, certainly attack-minded fullbacks on the planet, and maybe within a couple of years, the best. We will see what happens with that. It, it's just fantastic. It, it's, it, it's still in a way, and this is not a good thing because we're on a platform that requires us to speak, but it is sometimes, it sometimes renders us speechless. Yeah. And the, these next few years, what this does for the game, seeing Alfonso Davies wearing a Canadian flag around his waist while celebrating the Champions League, you can only wonder what this does for the game. And it's Look, it's the growth game here in Canada right there alongside basketball. And we're seeing Jonathan David. He played his first match for Lille this weekend, which we'll talk about a little bit further on later on in the show. Um, but this is a growth moment. It's akin to Vince Carter with the Raptors uh, in his rookie year and you know um, Air Canada, as they called it back then with Vince. And now 20, 25 years later, uh, or 20 years later, you're, you're looking at uh, a, a generation of basketball players that grew up watching Vince, admiring Vince, and chose basketball as their sport. And that's the benefit of um, seeing Vince having professional teams here in Canada. And now that we've had MLS teams uh, since 2007, um, across the country since 2011, and now we have our own league in the Canadian Premier League, uh, I mean, these are all big-time events, and that's why, you know, it's these things coming together that are pushing towards the 2026 World Cup when we will be hosting a certain amount of matches and being able to field a squad that doesn't just, you know, show up at the World Cup, but maybe can actually have some level of success to what that is is still way too far down the line to tell but these are the moments that build towards that that continue to push talent through that continue to show canadian kids that if they commit to this sport that they can have success which is not something you could have said many years ago now when we look at this though um there's obviously been the discussion peter of I guess the Lou Marsh and where do you put this for Canadian athletic achievements? What Davies did uh, to win the Champions League? Like I, I honestly think, and I know the Lou Marsh voting is kind of flawed in a lot of ways. In an Olympic year, you can almost guarantee that it's going to an Olympic gold medalist. Uh, other years, it's almost uh, ingrained in us that it has to go to a hockey player or whatever else. But it just generally seems to be so. Um, not well thought through in my humble opinion sometimes and where the award goes. Um, but for Alfonso Davies, like, I, I don't see how anybody else, uh, and I, would jo I know Jamal Murray put up 50 points last night, but I don't see how anybody else even comes close to Alfonso Davies' case for the Lou Marsh this year. 
neither do I. Just because you look at the field that Davies competes in, this is the most played sport in the world. This is the most popular sport in the world. And what he did with one of the biggest clubs on the planet, um, that to me makes this a no-brainer. I'm not usually passionate about the Lou Marsh debate because I feel it's all relative. It's it's all really based on, on opinion, um, which is understandable. But really, you look at what Davies has done, and I don't think based on his body of work, anyone can come close to that because he didn't just win the Champions League, the premier club competition in club soccer. He won a league title. He won a domestic cup. He won the treble. Uh, Bayern became one of the first, sorry, the second team um, after Barcelona to win multiple trebles in Europe. Um, And Davies played a major role in that, as we've discussed ad nauseum. So to me, there's no debate. Um, And, you know, given what he has accomplished, and I'm not usually one to say things like this, you know, this has to make him one of the biggest stories on a national scale. And and I sometimes wonder why he isn't like, would it help if he played for say a better white cap side that the team he came from wasn't necessarily great. They missed the playoffs in 2018 after all. Uh, maybe if he was from a city like Montreal or Toronto instead of Edmonton, would he get more attention or is it just the fact he's a soccer player? Um, but I feel like now, given that they have won the champions league, did Bayern and Davies, people will at least know about him and know his exploits. It's, I wonder, you know, are, are we going to see Davies be the biggest story on the on the sports highlight shows? I doubt it. Um, you know, that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, mm-hmm. Soccer matches, especially when they're in Europe, they don't go into primetime slots here on North American television. Um, and, you know, they kind of... Uh, there's, there's not a a level of interest in the grind through the season um, from a casual perspective as there would be elsewhere, right? And and that's that's just it. But moving forward, yeah, like Alfonso Davies is a staple of the Canadian consciousness um, as he's already been for global soccer fans given what he had done this year. But that achievement yesterday raises the awareness of everybody across this country as to who Alfonso Davies is. And it's crazy that we have to say that, that he didn't have that level already. But I think that's just the reality of where we live and how this is still continuing to grow. But it's, you know, it reminds me a little bit of of Steve Nash winning a couple of MVPs in the NBA. You know, that's a guy dominating a sport that Canadians don't normally dominate in. Uh, now we have it in soccer with Davies. We had it with Christine Sinclair uh, as well. But uh, now you see it and you have it with Davies. Now let, we're going to talk more about this with Manuel Veth of uh, Transfer Market US and Forbes coming up in just a little bit. But let's focus on Bayern here for a second. How do we look at that treble that you mentioned, Peter? Um, there are six teams, I believe, that have won the treble in the Champions League era. Uh, Two times for Bayern, two times for Barcelona. Inter Milan did it, and uh, we saw Manchester United do it as well. Like, this Bayern team, how do you rank them against some of those other squads that we saw? Because these are some of the best club teams that we had ever seen, right? 2009 Barcelona, Lionel Messi, Thierry Henry, Samuel Eto'o, uh, along with Xavi and, and, and Iniesta and, and that incredible midfields. Um, 
even Barcelona a couple of years ago with Luis Suarez and Neymar and Messi. Um, like these are some of the greatest sides we have ever seen. Do we put Bayern into uh, that category of maybe greatest club season of all time? I think you have to just because if you look at the context of their season before they just blew the doors off of every opponent that they played, um, it was very similar to, for example, 2015 Barcelona. It was very similar to uh, the 2009 Barcelona team as well because both of those sides were kind of in turmoil. I remember even in 2015, they were talking about kind of pillaging the the, the sporting side of the club and, and you know, bringing in a new sporting director, changing the coach, changing everything. Luis Enrique was in trouble. Uh, but then after switching to the MSN front line that we all kind of came to know that Barcelona team for, um, they were just incredible to watch 175 goals that season in all competitions compared to Bayern's this year, 159. So it's kind of close, but um, the big difference for me between those two teams is this 2020 Bayern side, they won every single champions league game that's never been done before. And they're unbeaten since the middle of December. Um, Yes. Obviously the pandemic threw a wrench into things and that's what makes this kind of unique. Um, but that's just another circumstance they had to get around. Um, and to me, the, the two teams that I think would come closest to this Bayern side would be the 2013 team that won the treble, um, as well as that 2009 Barcelona team. Because again, the 09 Barca side was dealing with turmoil the previous year. They completely overhauled the playing style once Pep Guardiola came in. It's very similar to what Flick did with this Bayern. Um, and given how much of a laughing stock they were in the Bundesliga uh, before Flick came in. And the 2013 Bayern side went unbeaten in the league from November 3rd to the end of the year. So the dominance is very much the same. So I feel you have to put it up on that level. Um, but for sure, they have to be considered one of one of the best treble winning sides in in history. And uh, I think it's um, a moment that I look at at Bayern, Liverpool, and 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 the landscape of the super clubs. And Bayern are spending better. Sure, maybe it didn't look like that at the beginning of the year, but um, as you saw this team, this club come together when they got the right coach in place, you finally started to see all the good work that they've done in the transfer windows come together. Whereas, you know, we've talked about it a ton here on the show, Peter, uh, when I'm usually with Jeff Blair, but yeah, Juventus has been a gong show. um, Mm -hmm. And that's why they haven't been able to make the most of the Cristiano Ronaldo transfer. They spent too much money on him, don't have uh, money for other parts of the squad. And they went from their team ethos, uh, rather, you know, one of the collective rather than the individual. And they haven't been as good of a team ever since signing Cristiano Ronaldo. That is not opinion. That is fact. Uh, Barcelona has fallen apart because of poor transfer market strategy for a number of years, probably going back to that 2015 side um, that we talked uh, just about that, that won the treble and uh, Real Madrid have struggled. Eden Hazard has not worked out uh, as, as a transfer over a hundred million dollars last summer. Now, you know, they won the league this year based on uh, some of their elder statesmen, right? Still getting the job done. These are the super clubs are talking about Manchester United has been, 
you know, mired in mediocrity for how long now, despite spending a crap ton of money? Um, Manchester City can't get into the semifinal of this tournament despite spending more money than God himself. Um, PSG has struggled to, to have success in, in this tournament until this year when they were basically gifted a spot in the final based on their draw. I, I mean, Liverpool and Bayern are the only super clubs that are spending well right now. Yeah, and you said it there they don't really miss on their transfers. And that's really the big thing. That's obvious, of course. You, you have to get all those signings right. But it's because they have a strategy in place that allows them to find and identify the best players that fit into their system. And there's no, quote-unquote, smartest man in the room at any of those clubs. Everybody works together. The analytics guys work very closely with with the coaches. Um, the sporting director works very closely with everybody involved because they try to get the best opinion possible. And they don't overspend on players either. You just look at some of the some of the Bayern players that have been signed over the years. I mean, you know, Lewandowski, probably one of the best free transfers of all time. You could argue the greatest free transfer of all time. Uh, Leon Goretzka, also a free transfer, um, making massive impacts in that midfield. Uh, but even Serge Gnabry, Joshua Kimmich, Kingsley Coman, obviously Alfonso Davies. Um, all these players were signed for very little and or no money when it came to the transfers. Now, yes, the wages come into play, but even if you look at Liverpool and Bayern, and by the way, Liverpool have spend a paltry amount of money compared to some of their closest rivals and richest rivals. Um, but you look at the wages, Bayern's fifth in wage expenditure in Europe. Liverpool is eighth or ninth, last time I checked. Um, mm -hmm. Barcelona spends almost twice as much money on wages as Bayern, which just kind of puts it all into context just how much of a mess they are. Juventus, as you mentioned, Dan, used to be in that category. Um, but then I think Marotta left and it slowly declined from there. Ronaldo coming in hasn't helped, as you mentioned, because obviously in order to subsidize those wages and, and, and everything else, you have to sell and that depletes the squad and it leaves you crippled in many different ways. Uh, that doesn't happen to Bayern. That doesn't happen to Liverpool these days. And that's why they are so far ahead of everybody else. Yeah. And uh, I... I It'll recalibrate and teams will figure it out. Um, Barcelona will come back to the forefront. When you're spending this much money, you have a certain amount of room for error, right? Uh, as, Juvent as you see with Juventus still winning Italian titles despite all of their mistakes in, in, in the last couple of transfer windows. But um, if you spend smart and spend a lot, that makes you damn near unbeatable. And that's how we find this version of Bayern Munich this year. Um, all right, coming up, we're going to talk to Manuel Veth, uh, dive a little bit more into these subjects, and at the end of the show, we've got injury time. Your questions for us here on a kick in the grass, you can always send them through at DanRicho underscore is where you can find me on Twitter, and you can follow my guest co-host this week, Peter Galindo, at GalindoPW. Coming up next, Manuel Veth. More on Bayern Munich, more on Alfonso Davies and his incredible achievement. Next on A Kick in the Grass. Back in on A Kick in the Grass. Yes, Alfonso Davies is a Champions League winner. Let's keep breaking it down. 
now joining us. Uh, he is with Transfer Market US, writes on the Bundesliga at Forbes, and you can also find him on the Gegen Pressing podcast. He is Manuel Veth, friend of the show. Thanks for this, Manuel. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing awesome, man. A Canadian is a Champions League winner on the men's side for the first time ever. Uh, I wouldn't say it was Fonzie's uh, best ever performance yesterday, but still um, provided some moments uh, that uh, Bayern usually need from him in defense. Mm. And um, always a pleasure. Like uh, Just an incredible achievement for a 19-year-old and how far he's come uh, since transferring to Bayern two years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible. Um, you, you, the two of us, we remember watching him, right, at BC Place together oh, yeah. um, when he was very young. Um, I remember chatting about the transfer to Bayern and um, the many debates that all of us had in the press box talking about whether this was maybe a step too far for him or too big of a step at first. And boy, has he proven everyone wrong because um, 18 months later, he is an absolute starter at Bayern Munich, a team that is not top sides in Europe, but now the best team arguably in the world, winning the Champions League in very convincing fashion. It's the first time in history that a team has won every single game in the Champions League, right, to, on the road to the title. And yeah, he's he started in most of those games. He was fundamental in their victory against Chelsea. He was a, a brilliant against Barca. He was solid against Lyon. He had some tougher moments um, yesterday, I thought, um, especially in, in that first half until he had that yellow card. But on the other hand, um, he was paired against Angel Di Maria, who we didn't see much of in the first half. And in the second half, he was paired against um, Mbappe. And we didn't see anything of him. And, you know, why it wasn't flashy, he definitely got the job done. Manu, it seems like when Benjamin Pavard got that injury and then Joshua Kimmich slotted into the right back role, it seems like Davies has been a little more reserved, at least since the return of the Champions League. Do you feel like that is by design from Hansi Flick? Yeah, I'm not sure he's more reserved. Um, I think that entire defensive line at Bayern is extremely high to begin with, right? right. Which allows them to play players like Alfonso Davies or Joshua Kimmich in those roles because Kimmich is not a right back. He's um, he, he's played in that position. He's also played a center back and he's fulfilled those roles um, very well. But he's a central midfielder. And when Thiago leaves Bayern, he will take up that role, right? And replace Thiago because he is um, extremely attacking minded. When you see him play... Um, there was a couple of times where I thought, is he actually playing, operating as a right back in this game or is he a central midfielder, right? And that's because their line is so very high. Now, I did think that against PSG, we all expected a festival of goals. We all expected that Bayern would play with an extremely high line again, like they did against Barca, like they did against Lyon. But I had the sense that um, Flick actually kind of wanted to show the world that Look, we we can win a game with just one goal if we have to. And I think that's maybe where that reservedness comes from. I think they were sitting a little deeper than usually. And I think that they um, very they were more concentrated on really trying to neutralize that front three, which, of course, took a lot of that attacking power away from them. 
But whether he's been reserved since the restart, I mean, we saw him against Chelsea play very far up the line. Um, I've been two games before coronavirus started, right? The game right before Chelsea, actually, he was very far up the line. And against Barca, he often played on the same height up the field as Ivan Perisic. So, I mean, it's it's so hard to really say, okay, well, he's a bit more reserved, but at the same time, you know, he's still very far up the field. And I think that's all by design. Manuel Beth, our guest. Yeah, it's... And, and we've seen him evolve. We see we saw Bayern um, as soon as Hansi Flick took over, and and he's his first match. Well, not his first start of the season, but when he became a locked in starter, I believe it was uh, an October twenty sixth match, and after that, that's essentially coinciding with where Bayern just took over the world, right? And they've lost two, three matches since then uh, in the in all competitions. It's really been you can almost link Davies uh, to Bayern becoming the super team and, and maybe one of the greatest and having one of the greatest seasons we've ever seen in club football. Yeah, I think, I mean, we do have to remember that the guy that put Davies in left back was actually Niko Kovac. Yeah. And I was at Niko Kovac's last game in Frankfurt where they got absolutely smashed 5-1. They were fourth in the Bundesliga. They were six points behind um, first place Leipzig at the time. Um, and since Flick has taken over, you're quite right. It's been two two defeats against Hoffenheim and against Bayer Leverkusen. That's it. That's the only time that they lost a the game. Then they drew once, I think. Um, yeah. And that from then on, it they just sailed through every competition. Now, we have to give Kovac credit for putting Davies there, right? And then we have to give Flick credit for, um, despite it being maybe a little bit of a failed experiment because they got smashed 5-1 by Eintracht Frankfurt. I mean, this is not that long ago. This is in November, right? Um, we have to kind of put this all into context that um, in this in this context of the season, half a season ago, they were a team that did not look like winning a treble. But Flick came in and said, okay, well, this is actually a really good idea and we're going to keep doing that. But I think what Flick really did for Kovac, it was more a mechanism of um, playing that 3-5-2. And I, I know, Dan, we've discussed that many times in private, right? That we chatted about that that's where Kovac maybe wants to go. Flick said, Bayern do not play 3-5-2. We're an attacking team. We're a team that's always going to dominate whoever they're going to play. We're going to play 4-3-3. But we're still going to put Fonzie on left back because our defensive line is going to be the highest in the world. And... It's incredible how he basically took Bayern that under Kovac almost wanted to have an underdog image in European football. And he said, no, we're Bayern Munich. We're one of the three best teams in the world. And he completely transformed the roster into an attacking side, a side that plays with a high line. And having players like Davies made that very much possible, right? And it's interesting how they went from that and then basically from a team that was a laughingstock in German football, and they were because they were laughed at in Frankfurt, to now the best team in the world. And that's only been possible because they have recruited young, exciting players like Davies and put them into a system that actually works. Manuel, um, when you look at the renaissance that a lot of these Bayern players have gone through, mainly from Flick establishing this clear tactical philosophy to get the most out of everybody. Um, 
one player who I feel hasn't gotten as much credit, maybe apart from the final itself, um, is Manuel Neuer. Mm. Do you feel he has been getting enough credit for his contributions to the team's success compared to maybe some other players? Yeah, I always laugh a little bit when I hear people say Allison is the best keeper in the world, Ederson is the best keeper in the world, Tierstegen. They're all great. Jan Oblak is another one. They're all good keepers, right? But nobody allows Bayern to play the way they play. Um, it's not possible if you don't have Manuel Neuer because that extreme high line is only possible to play if your keeper is comfortable to play 20, 30 yards out of the goal. And there is all these statistics out there that show that Neuer isn't as great as a, sh a shot stopper as some of the other world-class keepers. But we keep forgetting that he, and we call these uh, Geistertore in German, uh, ghost goals. He prevents a lot of shots to begin with, right? There's a lot of traditional goalie saves that he doesn't have to make because he's so far up the pitch so many times. And I think that when you, when you look at that... <laughs> I think we don't give Manuel Neuer enough credit outside of Germany. In Germany, we, we're quite clear about this. I mean, we think now that, again, because there was a little bit of debate between him and Ter Stegen, but I think that's been clearly settled. He's the number one goalkeeper of the German national team. And I think he is still the best goalkeeper in the world. He had a year where he came back from an injury. Uh, listen, if you're injured for a year, um, it takes you about the same amount of time to regain your form. And I, he has clearly done that. And this extremely high line that so many people have pointed out at Bayern is not possible to play if you don't have a keeper like Manuel Neuer. And I think he is now the first world keeper to have a sh um, shutout at a World Cup final and a Champions League final. Hmm. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, that just says it all, in my opinion. It's uh, he, he, an impressive career, and yeah, uh, people writing him off a little bit too early, uh, it seemed like, and certainly that save on Neymar in the first uh, 20 minutes yesterday really set the tone for the match and allowed Bayern to kind of get their feet and then take over from there on. Uh, Manuel Veth, our guest, and I saw on, uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Manuel Veth, and it was uh, kind of the, the conversation that was permeating through Canada yesterday, Manuel, but just where do you put... Uh, Davies and this achievement, uh, I guess, in the pantheon of Canadian athlete athletic achievements, and it's you know it's it's not a, a, an easy debate. It's layered because yes, uh, soccer in Canada has not been the most popular sport, but as we know globally, it is ginormous and trumps basically everything else on the planet from a sporting perspective so how do you how do you quantify this um davies achievement in in a canadian perspective yeah twitter is so black and white isn't it um, yeah it doesn't allow for for much shade and uh, doesn't allow <laughs> for much uh, no gray area gray areas yeah it's um i think that this is probably one of the biggest um, whether it is the biggest depends on your viewpoint on sport I mean I cover I cover football full-time that's it's literally my profession and I can't think of a bigger sport in the world I know that there's some other sports that have high high, high attendances and are followed especially here in North America 
But when it comes to the worldwide global appeal, no sport comes even close. And that's a definite fact. I mean, you know, you can throw all sorts of stuff at me, but that's a definite fact. The Champions League final has more global attendance than the Super Bowl, right? And mm-hmm. Alfonso Davies played in a key role for a Bayern Munich side over the full 90 minutes as a 19-year-old. And this is always important for the context. As a 19-year-old, Horny having been at the club for 18 months at the world's biggest club game. This is as big as, almost as big as the World Cup final, right? Mm-hmm. And um, we simply don't have something like that in the history of our sport. And yes, come at me with Owen Hargreaves. Um, <laughs> Owen Hargreaves did not play for Canada. I'm sorry. Can, can we not bring up Owen Hargraves? <laughs> but we have to because it was yeah. brought up yesterday, right? And uh, I remember Owen Hargreaves because he came through Bayern's Munich's academy, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he was a fantastic player. But when you Google him and you go onto his Wikipedia page, all the records say he was the first English player to do this. He was the first English player to do that, right? He was the first English player to win. He is not part of the Canadian record books when it comes to the sport. No. And that's unfortunate because it was gutting for, it probably set Canadian soccer back by a decade or two that he decided to play for England, right? Davis could have played for Ghana and chose to play for this country. You can say the same about Jonathan David, right? Who could have played for the United States or Haiti. And they chose to play for Canada. And I think that is culturally more important than than having a player who was born and raised here and is culturally Canadian, but represented another country. This is more important than for our sport because it will actually bring our sport forward, right? And this is really what, what you need to talk about, cultural significant events for Canada. How are they actually going to benefit the sport in Canada? And there's going to be, I, I walked through Victoria yesterday and there were kids everywhere with Bayern shirts. Mm-hmm. I have never, ever seen that before in my life, right? Um, you see the English shirts all the time, but Bayern shirts? This is this is important. This is big, and this is really big for the sport, and it's really big going forward to the 2026 World Cup because it's going to be making a massive difference. And so, yes, I think it will, I will put it at the very top almost. And I know that there's some other events that were also very big. Uh, Donovan Bailey was brought up. Um, that, that's the only other one that maybe comes yeah. close. Like, I, I'm on the same page. For me, Davies is top. Um <laughs> Donovan Bailey is such a it's it's such a huge moment as well, but again, yeah, you, you made the point on Twitter. You know, the Olympics um, they they don't match what the Champions League final is. No, not anymore. I mean, in nineteen ninety six, we have to always put it in context of time too, right? Mm-hmm. We're now in twenty twenty. We're not in nineteen ninety six anymore. The Olympics have lost significantly in in status. I mean, the Rio Olympics couldn't even sell out their events. They had to give tickets away for free. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I know Twitter is black and white. So I yeah. try to, you know, try to explain what my standpoint is because I know it's definitely a controversial standpoint. But I think at this moment of time, it has to be the biggest. Yeah, I would completely agree with that too. And especially when you're in Canada. And I feel like people don't, some people at least, don't understand just how massive the sport is worldwide Mm. just go to any other country really outside of canada and the u.s and even parts of the u.s you'll see this it's just like it's the culture it is completely 100 the culture and people live and breathe it. the pressure is real um and on that sort of subject manuel um 
maybe just for those who because people obviously know Bayern Munich is a massive club. They're one of the biggest clubs in the world. It's a gigantic institution. Um, the fact Davies has done this for a club like Bayern Munich with all the pressure that comes with it, maybe put it into context how much more incredible that achievement is for Davies to do what he has done so quickly. Yeah, Bayern, uh, they're the biggest club in Germany. Um, they're the biggest club in the most populated country in Europe. They are a giant. You know, they have 293,000 club members. Um, that's the most by any club in the world. They, it's when you, when you, I, I'm very fortunate that I go to their games quite a bit as an accredited journalist. And when you go and walk into the the media um, the media center at the Allianz Arena, on your left is a poster um, that is about oh, it's about the size of the of of a scoreboard board at the at BC Place, and it just has all the trophies that they've ever won on it, right? And that already gives you that very moment you realize oh this is a very big club <laughs> it's about as big as you come i think bayern munich are together with real madrid and barcelona they are the very pinnacle of european football and it shows i mean no other team has reached the champions league final as often as bayern other than real madrid right mm-hmm. um so they are an incredible large club they are and extremely important in in German society. I think they have about 10 million followers in Germany alone, right? Um, The most in Germany. Um, Most Germans either hate or love them. So it's that's already shows you how big they are. Uh, Just look at the pictures of what's going on in Munich yesterday when when they did win the Champions League. And this is despite um, strict COVID-19 regulations, right? Um, There were still big parties everywhere in downtown Munich. Um, yeah, this club is incredibly big, and to go and walk in into a club like that and become a starting player as an 18-year-old, now 19-year-old Canadian, you can't really quite grasp it until you've been there and seen all of that. Yeah, and Davies, um, you know, for me now, he is the most recognizable Canadian athlete on the planet with how well he's done this year, and uh, he's going to be a part of the international soccer discussion for uh, a very long time moving forward, as uh, as we talked about and have talked about on the show over the last few weeks. Now, on that note, though, Bayern um, winning this year and. Um, they've been to a number of finals over the last number of years. I think seven, they've been to what, seven semifinals in the last nine years or so in, in the Champions League. Like we know, right? Uh, the teams that are competing for the Champions League essentially every year, Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich, um, the, the biggest clubs, the super clubs in the world. Um, but it has felt uh, with the last two champions, Liverpool and Bayern, they are doing things differently than some of the other super clubs and they're spending smarter and they're having a lot more success. Whereas you look at PSG yesterday, sure. They've got Neymar and they've got Mbappe. They've got great star talent, but Bayern won that game because they played more like a cohesive team rather than just waiting for one of their stars to have a big moment. Um, 
we've we've all been talking about the turmoil at Barcelona for for the last couple of months. Real Madrid had their success based on an aging core. They haven't been able to to refresh their squad and maybe heading down that same path as Barcelona. I've talked a ton about Juventus and buying Cristiano Ronaldo and how it's affected the team and how they haven't been able to progress even though they have one of the best players on the world within their roster. Bayern and Liverpool do it differently. They do it smarter. And that's why they've been a cut above everybody else on the European landscape. Do you agree? Yeah, I 100% agree. I think a couple months ago, I did an article on Transfermarkt. I really dug deep into this incredible big database that we have. And um, I think, I don't have the exact numbers in my head, but they spend only there. So they market, the overall market value of their squad is a um, billion dollars now. And I think they only spent about $380 million to put that team together, right? Same, it was about the same margins for, for Liverpool and actually the same margins for RB Leipzig who also reached um, the semifinal of the, of the Champions League. We can't forget them, right? And yes, these teams operate smarter. Um, I mean, they picked up Alfonso Davies for 10 million euros at the time. I know it's now 11 because, yeah, he won the Champions League yesterday. So um, the White Cups got a nice little bonus there. But, um, you know, they they basically picked up Davies for 11 million euros and he's now worth 60. And I, I can tell you with some confidence that that market value is going to go up extreme a, a lot in the next few months, right? Because of how he has played. You see the same with Liverpool. They pick up players then, and they under Klopp, they just develop them and make them better. And I think that is, that's the way you do have to operate on this because it also, and this is, this is my personal opinion, leads to more squad cohesiveness. If you look at the young players that were brought in all at the same time and developed, Bayern said goodbye to Arjen Robben and Frank Ribéry, right? And they brought in Serge Knabi and Kingsley Coman, and um, they brought in Joshua Kimmich, they brought in Davies, they, they brought in all these younger guys for very little money. Leon Goretzka is another one. And they all together kind of grew together for the last two years. And because they are able to keep doing this, um, sort of having these fluid transitions, they're able to keep that culture of winning going, right? And it's smart identification of players that can really help your squad, but also being able to do it on, on the go. That is, makes this so very impressive. And Bayern have done this for a long time. Well, I think the, the book is still out on Liverpool on whether they can have this as a sustained success, um, like Bayern have been doing. You know, as you said, Bayern have been, I think the only time, they have only missed out on the Champions League semifinal twice in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, whether, they, whether other clubs are able to do it like this uh, i think the book is still out but bayern have been doing this for decades and i think um that is that is the most incredible part about the story that other clubs are sort of trying to copy that model now but they have been doing it all along yeah completely agreed and whenever people talk about who don't cover german football closely they always talk about how oh Bayern just cherry picks from the other teams around them and this is how they keep winning and they have such 
gigantic revenues compared to the other teams and this is how they win it, it's because of the fact that they plan ahead of time and they and they have this culture in place that allows them to do this because they always do their business well ahead of time so that players can get integrated um, they know what to expect and that's why I feel at least they have the success that they have had for so long um, but in terms of I guess a, a, another transition Manuel um, mm. You mentioned it there. Tiago is likely leaving. Uh, Javi Martinez, I'm sure, will be following him. Um, it looks like their midfield might be a little bit thin heading into the new season. Um, do you feel like Bayern will be able to sign the adequate replacements for the midfield that they need, especially considering we've heard Karl-Heinz Rummenigge talk about how clubs have to be careful with their finances mm. in these times. That goes for Bayern as well. Do you think they're going to have the means to be able to replace those who are departing that midfield. Yeah, Thiago is probably the most difficult one, right? I think that Javi Martinez um, has so many injuries, such a fine player at the time, um, fundamental for them to win the 2013 Champions League title together with Schweinsteiger. They were so dominant in that midfield, right? Mm -hmm. But I think his time has been coming for quite some time. But Thiago is in my opinion, is going to be next to impossible to replace. And it, it's really too bad because you saw him play yesterday and he was probably the best player on the field. Um, he dominated that center area so much, completing part, like pretty much every pass, but also fighting to get the ball back whenever they were pressed hard. They, he was extremely breast resistant. Um, he's the complete package. And if he does join Liverpool, I can only congrats them because that's uh, even at his advanced age and even though he doesn't fit that FSG um, model, you know, the, the younger players that they want to sign. I think if you can get someone like Thiago, um, you need to go get them <laughs> because th th these players are not replaceable. So that that does, that question is is a serious one. Do you, What do Bayern do in midfield? Um, I think that Joshua Kimmich is going to slot into that role and he, he I think he can replace Thiago. I think he is a Thiago-like player. But you always want to have more than one, right? Um, if you are a club of that stature, you want to have backups. And um, I th Adrian Fein has come back from Hamburger SV. He is a very promising midfielder, but he will need time as well to develop. Uh, Mikael Cousins, I think we all kind of hoped a little bit more from him, right? Um, hasn't really quite developed in that area. And I know that Hansi Flick has been adamant that if Thiago leaves, he wants a replacement. And I, I know, Peter, you do a lot of these uh, really wonderful radars uh, for Sportsnet um, and graphs and scouting and I'm not sure who could come in to replace him. Um, maybe you, you know a couple players in that regard, but I think it'd be extremely difficult. Yeah, next to impossible, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, not not an easy player uh, to replace. Uh, we, we don't have much more time, Manuel, but uh, before we let you go, Kai Havertz to Chelsea this morning? Is, is, is this happening? <laughs> Where did you guys read that? <laughs> <laughs> it's on The Guardian, man. Like, uh... oh, Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I know the source then. Um, yeah, that's been shoo-shooed by Rudi Feller, uh, the sporting director. There is no deal in place. Um, that doesn't mean that, that there's, he's not going to join Chelsea, by the way. I'm just saying that uh, it's not... It's 
there is no transfer agreed at this moment of time. We're recording at uh, 9 a.m. in the morning on the West Coast, right, <laughs> on a Monday. But I, I, there's no deal in place yet. And um, from what Rudy Fuller has said, and I have very good contacts to Leverkusen. I know the guys there really well. Um, they will tell us when something is happening, but um, this is not it. All right. Well, uh, I guess the Guardian a bit hasty once once again. Uh, Dan Richo and uh, Peter Galindo uh, thanking uh, you, Manuel Veth, for joining us here today. Check him out on Twitter by his name and uh, the great work he does at Transfer Market US, of course, at Forbes as well. Thanks for this, uh, Manuel. We'll be talking soon. Thanks for having me on, guys. Again, you can follow Manuel on Twitter by his name, at Manuel Veth. Coming up next, your questions for us here on A Kick in the Grass. Final segment of A Kick in the Grass. Dan Riccio and Peter Galindo here with you this week. You can always send in your questions at DanRiccio underscore uh, is where you can find me on Twitter. And my DMs are open also on Sundays at DanRiccio on Instagram. I put up a little graphic with a question box. You can ask questions there as well for us here on the show to answer in injury time. Uh, one quick thing I, w- I do want to say before we get to your questions. Uh, Paris and Lyon are playing each other on Wednesday, August 26th in the UEFA Women's Champions League. Some CanCon there as well. Alfonso Davies' better half, Jordan Heidema, uh, is competing for Paris as well as Nichelle Prince. Uh, and uh, three-time Champions League winner uh, Kadisha Buchanan, uh, still a stalwart central defender for Lyon. So be checking out that CanCon in the UEFA Women's Champions League uh, later on this week. All right, to your questions. Here we go. Peter, let's start with this. Kurt asking, are the Whitecaps MLS caliber? Oh, that's a loaded question if you do say so, <laughs> if I do say so myself. My God. Um, isn't it weird that I'm actually debating this whether i want to say yes or no (laughs) because certainly based on recent examples and reach i'm sure you'll agree with me on this it almost looks like they're not like i feel cavalry could beat them again and beat them more convincingly than they did last year um at this point because i get that mark dos santos has had to deal with some unforeseen circumstances certain well a lot of forwards let's be honest turning down the chance to go to mls's back um dealing with some injuries even now as the regular season resumes but when you look at how quickly someone like oscar pareja established his style in Orlando and he did change some of the spine of that team Pedro Gallese comes in Matias Pereira comes in uh, as their number 10 and has been amazing for them so far you wonder what is going on in Vancouver in that regard that they just can't seem to lock down any sort of foundation the players look confused especially in midfield Uh, they don't know when to press when to drop off multiple guys are pressing the same player while they leave someone wide open near the top of the box um, and usually, and, and I hate to say this but it, it usually is Russell Tybert and I feel like that's kind of a symptom of the problems because he is becoming such a regular key player for the Whitecaps these days, that kind of shows you what they're dealing with at this point in time. Like Russell Tybert's a great rotational player to have at this point in his career but as a everyday starter probably not Um, but they aren't compact when they build up. So guys are aimlessly dribbling, 
trying to find space and it's just not working. Lucas Cavallini's left on an island. It's just a complete mess. Um, and this is why I think they they will have some very tough decisions to make once the season ends. Mark Dos Santos is not Axel Schuster's guy, so maybe he makes a change at coach, but I feel that isn't really the number one issue. There are many deep underlying issues within that club. And have been for far too long. I'm tired of wasting breath on it, but I'll say this. Um, the, the the midfield, especially after Wangenbaum is transferred out, is not MLS caliber right now. There's a lot of work that has to be done uh, for that team to get back up to um, relevancy in MLS. Uh, James with this question. Sounds like Pogba is staying at Manchester United. Is that the right move for him and the club? Got to be quick here, Peter. I would say yes, just because the only team that could probably afford him right now is Real Madrid, and I think they are having to deal with some big wage cuts. Um, but for him staying, I think it's it's ideal. I mean, he has Bruno to help pull the strings. Bruno tracks back, Pogba doesn't. He doesn't really press aggressively. Bruno does, um, and he can still be involved in the buildup. So I think as long as you have a solid number six at United, um, then for sure, I think that this is the right move for Pogba at this point in time. Uh, Kent with another question. What did you see from Jonathan David in his first league uh, match? Yeah, I watched his entire debut. Um, he was the out and out number nine, which means he was essentially replacing the outgoing Victor Osimen. But you could see the chemistry wasn't quite there yet with his other Jonathans yeah. and Jonathan Ikone and Jonathan Bamba. Uh, David, David he had 12 so touches I saw. Like that's, yeah. uh, it's not, not, not enough. <laughs> no, not good, but he was making decent runs into the box. I just think that guys like Renato Sanchez weren't really looking for him. And I think that'll come with time. You got to keep in mind, he only signed a couple weeks ago. They're not on the same wavelength yet. I thought Naif Aguirre for Ren was marking him touch tight. It was a tough debut, but again, you have to, Keep in mind, he's a different number nine to Osimen, and this is the first game. It, it, it'll come with time, but you can see what they're trying to do with David at Lille. Uh, and Dez has a couple of questions. Will Messi leave, and if so, where? Um, there's a lot of debate there. I think there's two teams, PSG and Manchester City, that could maybe pull it off if it's actually going to happen, just given his wages. Um, but even Thomas Tuchel uh, said yesterday after the Champions League match when it was mentioned to him, uh, what coach wouldn't want Messi? Uh, I, yeah, that's still true, even at his age. And uh, I guess declining abilities, he's still one of the best on the planet. Uh, and this one, how long do you see Davies staying with Bayern? Ooh, I, I could see still many, many years to come. They signed him to a contract extension, uh, signed him to a new contract, in fact. Uh, still 19, plenty of room for growth. And you look at how integral he is to that side. I think it would be very difficult to find a like-for-like -like replacement at this point. So I think for now, he's there to stay for the next at least three, four, five years for sure. Yeah, I would say probably summer 2023. He's signed till 2025. So right. I'd say we, we'd probably have a couple of years. Um, if Canada makes the World Cup and he has an incredible World Cup, um, maybe he moves on to a Real Madrid at that point. But... Um, at this rate, um, who is taking Alfonso Davies from Bayern? They are the top team on the planet and no reason to move on from one of the best young players on planet Earth. Peter, this has been a lot of fun, man. Thank you for joining this week. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to be on. Pleasure. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at GalindoPW. I am at DanRicho underscore back in on a kick in the grass next week on the Sportsnet Radio Network.